If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. John 14, 7. Just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man, out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I can. Hello, and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I am Brett Etheridge here with you again, co-host of the podcast with, as always, my good buddy, Perry. Perry, how are you doing today? What up? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? <laughs> fantastic is good. I... I guess I'm doing fantastic. Uh, it's always good to be fantastic. We were wrestling a little bit with sort of the transition back to school after a weekend where our boys, our older boys, saw their biological mother. So okay. I wasn't necessarily intending to talk about this, but let's go ahead and, and dive in here before I set the set the agenda. You know, he. Um, so it was always our prayer when we went through the whole adoption process and took custody of the boys at a time when they weren't being parented well by their biological parents, that there would be healing and restoration with the biological parents and the biological grandmother and, and all of this. And, and to a large extent that has happened. Uh, and God has really restored some relationships there and Melanie's sister there. So Melanie's my wife, her sister, my older boy's biological mom is in a much better place these days, praise be to God, and yeah. is somewhat a part of their lives, not in an active way. She doesn't live in the same town. They don't see her very regularly. But when we get together for big family functions, she's there and the boys see her and and there's been healing there. And they just sort of almost at this point... Uh, sort of treat her and almost view her like an aunt. Not the, So there used to be a lot more emotional baggage and things like that. But my middle son, Benjamin, does seem to still sort of get set off when he sees her. And sure. even if he doesn't know how to express that, even if it's sort of a deep subliminal type of a place, he's always distracted when he gets back into school. He's He's not doing his homework assignments. He's not focusing and paying attention in class and all those types of things. And so, you know, here we are a couple of days into the new school week. They had Monday off, obviously, for Labor Day. And, you know, we're getting some reports from his teacher that he's distracted. And, and it's the same old pattern. We're not surprised by it. It's frustrating. And it's frustrating that he's still having to deal with that. And look, they're kids. They get impacted by those types of things. Um, but it's just, you know, we're still just dealing with that. You know, I don't know if you have any thoughts or anybody listening, you know, certainly has any ideas for, for me or for us on how to handle that. You know, we've had some counseling in the past and he's doing a lot better than he used to be. I uh, used to really act out, cry a lot when he would come home, those types of things. You know, there's no outward expression of anything at this point, but you know, we're just kind of easing back into it after a weekend of having seen her. It was a, uh, their grandmother's birthday. And so we went, went into Greenville and uh, had a big birthday party for her, which was fun. So it was a fun weekend. But now we're just dealing with some of the repercussions of that. Sure. <clears throat> Man, that's a challenge. Um, do y'all ever do any pre-framing or debriefing around an event like that? I mean, I'm sure obviously there's some type of, hey, we're going to visit family. Your mom's going to be there, you know, et cetera. I know there's got to be that kind of logistical prepping. But is there any, any type of emotional prepping is he old enough is that is that appropriate is that something that y'all do and or is there a debrief afterwards you know hey man what was that like you know is does any of that happen sort of we actually did talk to him he used to be very clingy and overly affectionate and overly emotional and like climbing all over her and and all of those types of things in a way that we we didn't really feel like it was appropriate and frankly, isn't fair to my wife to have to witness that sure. because she's their mom now and she just is. Right. Um, and so we do some coaching along those lines on the front end. We're striking about because we don't want to make a big deal of it because it's like sure. what you draw attention to is what they then focus on. So, oh, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, you know what? Well, that's all he's going to be thinking about. And then it's going to be weird and awkward. And so we actually don't do a ton of pre-prep. And I don't know what sort of, a post analysis would look like. I mean, do you have any sure. thoughts? And this is something I need to look at and explore and maybe need to talk to somebody about because yeah, I think there probably would be a healthy way to sort of debrief afterwards. I just don't really know exactly what that would look like. Right. I'm not sure what it would look like either, but I think you're on the right track to go, Hey, let's go, you know, let's go talk to somebody that's a professional, whether it's a, a counselor, you know, Christian counselor, a therapist, you know, anybody like that, I think would probably be able to equip y'all with some tools 
and, you know, some things that you could do, you know, probably I would guess on the front side and the back side. Like you said, you don't want to preframe it in a way where they're just overly focused on that. Right. But I think there's got to be some level probably that would be helpful that is in terms of an acknowledgement or a validation, you know, hey, we understand this is, you know, something that's maybe hard for you to deal with emotionally and that's okay you know if you're having weird feelings about this or if you you know don't know how to feel about your biological mom that you you miss her or these things but you know she's not really your mom because you know all you know maybe there's some type of conversation but i don't know what that is i don't have personal experience nor do i have any training you know towards that no that's good encouragement yeah i actually have a i have somebody that i could reach out to and will so i appreciate the encouragement and maybe we can do a whole episode around this in the future, because I imagine there's a lot of people who are in similar situations and, and get some expert advice and opinions on this. So sure, uh, good stuff. But beyond that, I mean, it was, it's been a good week overall. Let's go ahead and dive in as we often do, starting with our small wins from the week. And then I'll sort of frame the agenda of what we're going to talk about on this episode. Um, I'll just launch in with a positive. You know, we've been, uh, we've been going through sort of the book Fathered by God. And in the last episode, we had a great conversation around boyhood and just thinking about how to impress upon our kids that they are our beloved sons or daughters. And, you know, what one of the things we want to do on this podcast is make things practical, give all of you, the listeners and us, I mean, we're trying to grow and learn from this as well, like practical things we can do. And then I'm all about taking action. I don't want this just to be head knowledge and stuff, but let's go take action on this. And so one of the things we talked about that really expresses uh, this idea that you are my beloved son is giving gifts, small yeah. gifts that says, I see you, you're important to me, and I know something about you. And so that's what I did for my oldest son, Jackson, is he, uh, he has been, he's a chewer. He always has to have something in his mouth. Okay. Where that comes from. He wasn't, he didn't even suck his thumb as a kid. Right. He never had pat, like, I don't know where, but he's always chewing on something. Mm-hmm. Bottle caps and plastic and okay. just in it, like wrappers from bottles that he'll chew always. And it drives me crazy. And that's a whole separate conversation. Like, why does that bother me so much? It shouldn't bother me, but it bothers me. And, and I worry about his health because you shouldn't just be chewing on plastic. And I worry about his teeth and we <laughs> talk about this all the time. So so I found and bought him some like adult chew toys. <laughs> it's like a thing. There are I had no idea. Yeah, there are these rubber things that are free from all the chemicals and carcinogens and all the stuff you don't want to be chewing on. And they're literally intended. I guess a lot of people out there have this issue where they just like to be chewing on stuff. Huh. So I bought him some chew toys. <laughs> That's really That's, cool. Yeah, and he was so excited to get them. He got a big smile on his face and he... He's chomping on these things all day long. I don't want him just chewing on gum. I mean, I was like, how can right. we go, go the gum route, but that has right. sugar in it? And right. anyway, so it seems like a good solution. And he seemed to appreciate the gesture at least. So that was kind of my win from the week. That's awesome. Have you, I don't know if, I don't know if we've ever talked about this over the years or not, but have you ever read the book Breath by James Nestor or Nestor? No, it I'm going to write it down. Oh, bro, you got to read this thing. You're you're gonna love it. You're gonna dive into it. But there's a huge section on the long term health benefits of chewing. Oh, really? And how, as more of a modern society, much of our diet doesn't in, doesn't really require us to chew like you know some of our ancestors you know would. And how that is having a significantly negative impact. The lack of chewing is having a significantly negative impact on our facial structure, which in turn translates to our nasal passages not being opened up enough and being able to breathe in through our nose as much as, you know, we should be or, you know, could be doing. So anyway, that came to mind immediately. And I couldn't remember if you and I ever discussed that book. For the listeners, Brett and I love to share really quality books with each other. Uh, that's something we've done for a long time. And and as a listener, if you if you're into reading to you know better yourself or listening to books on you know Audible, I'm assuming you're that type of person because you're here listening to the podcast. But Breath is an amazing read. Uh, I, it's one of the books I've thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, I'll 
I'll definitely read it. And then I'm probably going to have to eat some crow after reading it because I've been telling Jackson about like how bad it is and it's going to destroy his teeth. And, you know, he shouldn't be chewing and all this. But uh, but it's funny you say that because we're horse people, right? So Melanie's always telling me that um, when you're t- teaching and training a horse, after they're learning something new, they'll chew and it's their brain's way of solidifying the information. Oh, that's cool. So I wonder if there's, I don't know if there's something like that in humans as well. Anyway, uh, I'll let you get to your small win from the week. Sure. My small win, we are right in the thick of a business move. So we sold our existing warehouse style building this earlier in the summer, and we're moving to a new location, a better location in on the other side of town. I'm thrilled about it. But we are right in the thick of doing the, you know, renovations, the upfit, some of the changeover of the new building. We're also in the midst of going through 20 years of stuff in our business. You know what I mean? It's equipment, paperwork, you know, just things, you know, stuff. So we're cleaning out the old and we're setting up the new space and we're working a lot right now. So we, you know, we're up in the morning getting right after it. And I can sometimes have the tendency to forget that my children are not just miniature adults, you know, they're kids. And while we do want to instill a nice work ethic into them, hey, work hard, do things with excellence, work at the job until it's done, et cetera, right? These are valuable characteristics that we want to instill and train into them at the same time. I need to recognize they don't have the work ethic, even my teenagers, they don't have the work ethic of a 43-year-old businessman. You know what I'm saying? They can't just go grind and work <laughs> 12 hours. from you know, yeah. 8 a.m. until 10 p.m., right? So um, my win this week is that I remembered they're freaking kids. <laughs> and, awesome. you know, when we were over at the new facility, they'd worked for a few hours and they were out back like playing with some baseballs they had that they had found at the facility you know and my knee jerk was like yeah i'm gonna go tell them get back to work and thankfully i have a wife that helps me be a better man and helps me be a better father and you know all the things and she kind of nudged me and she's like you know they're just kids like you could let them play for a while and i'm like yeah there's some wisdom there so that's my win is uh letting the kids be playful and you know, allowing my wife to lead me some as husbands and fathers, we're the leaders or the head of our household. But that doesn't mean we can't, you know, be led by our wives when we need to, or even frankly, sometimes we can be led in the right direction by our own kids. So anyway, that was my that was my win for the week. Yeah, good for you. That's awesome. Are you using as an opportunity to maybe teach them new skills, like as you're building out the new place? Is there any carpentry or putting up drywall or like anything where you're able to actually teach new skills uh, to your kids? So my older kids have had that experience and we've built multiple houses over the years. We've remodeled houses, things like that. Sorry about that phone in the background. Um, but so they kind of know a lot of that stuff. They're, my older kids are proficient with a screw gun, with a hammer, with nails, with a zip tool, you know, with basic hand tools and basic power tools. My younger kids, I have not initiated them as much into it. So I'm glad you asked me that. And I can begin to look for some opportunities with the two younger kids to bring them alongside. They are uh, painting. All four of them were spending a fair amount of time painting, uh, you know, this past week. And they will as we keep moving forward. So that's cool. Cool. Yeah, very good. Love the small wins. And as we transition a little bit to today's episode, uh, we're going to do some some sort of deep analysis of our own, you know, our own parenting and how we were fathered by our fathers to sort of set the stage. Perry, I know you guys don't watch a ton of TV, neither do we really as a family, but have you seen the progressive insurance commercials that are sort of out now about uh you know, these, these people be, being like their parents, becoming like their parents? I have not. I'm <laughs> going to look it up, though. I'm yeah, gonna I'll send YouTube you some clips on YouTube. Yes. They're really, really funny. <laughs> I think they're funny, right? So I, these commercials are on all the time on sports, you know, whatever, whatever I'm watching for sports. And so I'm, I'm sure you guys 
are familiar with these commercials. And so they're really funny because basically the punchline is progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents. <laughs> and then it goes on to, you know, because I guess they're trying to say, hey, you don't have to have your parents insurance, like come get progressive, get our insurance, I guess is the whole point. But it got me to thinking, how are we becoming our parents? Like, how right. are we becoming our own fathers? And it's so easy to do. You know, you're a chip off the old block, like father, like son. We have all of these expressions that are so true because it's so easy just to become our parents. And in this case, our fathers. And sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes that's not such a good thing. And so what we thought we would do on this episode is just talk about some ways that we are intentionally trying to be like our fathers, ways that our fathers have modeled things for us, initiated us in ways uh, that are worth emulating and worth following. And I think it's it's worth talking about so that some of those things because for you, the listener, I think maybe it'll give you some ideas. I'll share some things that my own dad has done that I'm trying to emulate that I think are really cool and are things that maybe we can all try to do in our own lives. And then talk about some ways that maybe we're like our fathers, but really wish we weren't. Not in a bad way, but in an, hey, I have an opportunity to be my own man. And here's how I want to forge my own path. And here's how I am trying to intentionally be different. And dare I say, better. And what does that look like? And how do we do that? Because it's not easy. It's easy right. just to be like our dad. How do we be different? Uh, so that's what we're going to do. And I think I think you'll be blessed by it. And uh, I think we're going to have fun discussing it. And I've, I've enjoyed trying to think through some of these things. So with that, uh, Perry, maybe I'll turn it over to you to kind of get the dialogue started. Why don't you start with sharing one or two or a handful of things that your dad did well, and specifically that you are purposely, intentionally trying to be like him. Sure. Yeah, I would love to do that. My dad really um, is someone I love so deeply. I'm so grateful that I was blessed to have the dad that I have. You know, it's it's been such a, a gift and a blessing in my life. So the one thing I want to start on is that I'm really striving to emulate is is that my dad always somehow made me feel the, his incredible love for me. You know, that's something I never, ever doubted as a kid growing up. And I know the book, you know, Father by God talks about in the boyhood stage, we need to know that we are the apple of our dad's eye. We are the beloved son. And my dad really hit a home run with that. And as I was thinking about it, I was trying to think about the practical and tangible ways that he did that. And I think, you know, there was just, it was just genuine from his heart, you know, like, I think that when you genuinely are delighted in something, or in this case, in someone, you can't hide that. You can't hide it. You, know you, what can't, I mean? fake, like it just, you can't fake that you no, are. No. And you can't no. hide that you're not. Or that That's you are. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think he just had a genuine, you know, delight in me, in his heart. And that just manifested into my whole life. It still is today, you know, to this day, my dad's alive. We have a good relationship. And, you know, to this day, I, there's no doubt in my mind that he loves me, you know, beyond even my, my own understanding, really, you know, so that's one area. And you want me to hop to do some like quick points where I hop to all of them? Yeah, you can do some quick points. How are, I'm, I'm curious though. That's so if that comes from deep within him and you can't fake it one way or the other, mm. how are you emulating it? Or is it well, just also I, natural in you because you experienced it yourself? I think there is some level of it's natural in me because I've experienced it myself. And then, you know, I think that if, if for any listeners that necessarily don't see their kids, as the apple of their eye, that they don't look at them and go, wow, this is my beloved son. You know, I think the first step is to, you know, ask the Lord to create that heart in them, yeah. you know, to prayerfully go before the father and say, hey, this is something that I want to have. And I don't necessarily know how to have it because I think that's a, a definite, you know, first step in that direction. I remember there were times that I would pray about things that I didn't even necessarily want to be doing, but I wanted to want them, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I would even just pray for that idea that God would change my heart in that way. 
And so I think really for me, if, if, you know, any kind of advice to give to somebody that may not feel this deep adoration towards their children would be to just pray to the Lord for a changed heart. And I think a lot of it comes from the ability to give that adoration does directly come from us having received it. And if we didn't receive that as boys, we can receive that now from God the Father, you know? So as a boy, if you didn't receive that adoration from your parents, you know, maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't have present parents, maybe you had abusive parents, maybe you had a horrible, you know, story growing up and you didn't experience that adoration at all, you know, 0%. Then I think we can seek that out and, you know, reading the scripture, learning God's love story for us, his children is a great move in that direction, you know? Yeah. If I could add one thing, I think you're exactly right. I have seen God change my own heart in my own, in my own life, even towards my own children. Um, and so you're 100% right. The other thing I would add, uh, and this is something that I learned somewhat recently, actually at a marriage conference, but I think it totally applies to then our relationship with our kids was if if your love for your spouse has grown cold, or maybe you don't have the the lovey feelings that you used to have, like how do you rekindle that? How do you get that back? And you absolutely can. And and the pastors, I guess he is a pastor, but sort of the leader of this marriage conference, he talked about how our heart is where our treasure is. Mm-hmm. And so where do we put our treasure? Our treasure is our time that we spend with the person. And basically the idea is that sometimes feelings follow actions. And so even if you're not feeling something in the moment, if you intentionally spend more time with your kids, write love notes to your wife, uh, but, but spend time with your kids, talk to your kids about how much you enjoy being with them, go play basketball with them, even if you don't feel like it, all of a sudden, your heart starts to follow the actions. And there tends to be a rekindling of the fire that was there. And emotion does tend to follow along with the actions. And so do things to intentionally show your kids that you love them, even if you're not feeling it. Sure. And the genuine feelings may follow suit. So that's just a thought I had as well. That's excellent. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. And then secondly, as you talked about y'all going to a marriage conference, the second thing I'm really striving to emulate from my father is his commitment to my mother. Yeah. You know, they uh, are still married. They were married before I was born. And, you know, I'm 43. I don't know what year, how, you know, what year they got married, what year they're on. I'm not great with remembering, you know, their dates, but they're somewhere probably in between 45 and 50 years of marriage, you know? So that's a huge accomplishment. And that's definitely something that I'm, you know, striving really hard to emulate, you know, that I learned from my father. He modeled for me God's plan for marriage is genuinely till death do us part, you know, and it's not like, well, we fell out of love with each other. Well, the spark isn't there anymore. You know, it's like, well, there's unreconcilable differences. We're done. You know, that's never that was never an option on the table for them, obviously. You know, if someone's in an abusive relationship, you know, if someone has been unfaithful, then there's, there are there are grounds for, you know, biblical divorce. But in terms of I'm freaking sick of looking at your face, you know, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't count. Right. <laughs> it doesn't count as the reason. And so I learned that from him through his modeling. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I love that about my dad and, you know, my mom, too, obviously. Um, it takes both of their intention to do that. So, yeah. Do you mind if I interject one of my points? I'd love uh, that. Yeah. Just because it, it follows on when I look at my dad, I can, I can concur that he has modeled that faithfulness to his wife as something that I am emulating. They just had, I think I mentioned this on a recent episode, 50 years of marriage for my parents. And I would take it one step further. One of the things that I think he taught me unintentionally, but just by observing and watching and seeing how he was as a man was how to treat a woman. So pulling a chair out for them at a restaurant, opening doors for them, talking about how beautiful she is when she comes down dressed for a date night. Those are things that I saw and that I'm intentionally trying to emulate, obviously, in how I treat my own wife to the point where you know, my, my oldest son the other day, we were having a conversation on the way home from school and he was asking like, why are girls special? 
And we had to have a conversation around that uh, because he sees the way I try to treat my wife and I'm trying to teach him now, like they're special, they're set apart, they're there, we treat them like princesses and queens and let's, let's open doors for them and things like that. He's like, yeah, but God created us all the same. Aren't you teaching us that everybody's the same? Black people are the same as white people. Right. Okay. I mean, you're right. Everybody's the same and yet they're special. You know what I'm saying? And so we're trying to have this conversation with my oldest son, but but I guess the point is bringing it back to my father. That's something that I just really internalized at a deep level. Here's how you treat women, because I saw my father do that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then I guess another one that I, you know, could kind of move towards is that my my dad is a handyman. You know, he professionally was in the construction industry more so, you know, a desk job, you know, bidding, bidding jobs and, you know, pricing jobs and things like that for a large corporation. But, um, but he was always, you know, and still is a handyman, you know, and he's got a handful of power tools, a hand, you know, hand tools, knows how to use those things that fixes things around the house, you know, knows how to deal with, to me, that's part of man things, you know, not that women can't do that too, you know, but part of growing up and and in that environment and in that household was, you know, seeing my dad handy with tools, knowing how to fix things, working around the house, doing projects, you know, stuff like that. And so I'm, you know, striving to do that, you know, as well with my kids. And and I would say, you know, even in, in a, not to necessarily jump ahead to the next part, but even go farther than my dad did and initiate them more in terms of teaching them how to use the tools versus just where it was in my situation, more of a me observing him doing it or being around and noticing that he's doing that. Whereas, you know, I'm striving to do a little bit more of a intentional interaction with my kids and, and initiating them into the competency around hand tools and power tools. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. Anything else? Those are good. That's a good list. Yeah, that's a good, you know, that feels pretty good, you know, starting point jumping off for me. How about for you? Yeah, I, so I mentioned sort of how he treated my, my mom, which I'm certainly emulating Uh, another sort of a fun thing. And this is where I said, I like to be practical. These are ideas that guys, you could feel free to steal this stuff. A really cool thing that he did that I am doing as well is he always bought flowers for my mom on our birthdays. And I thought that's so cool. So I do that. I do that as well. Although there's something I'm going to say that I'd be curious to get your advice on. Um, But man, it's just acknowledging that like, I, I see you, I know how hard it was to bring this life into the world. And yes, yeah. we're going to buy our kids birthday presents, but I'm going to get you a present as well to acknowledge that this birthday only happens because you went through labor. My wife, yes, a few days ago, I guess, because it's Wednesday, uh, it's Wednesday and um, a couple of days ago was Labor Day. <laughs> My wife showed me a meme on Instagram or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> where this woman, you might've seen it if you're laughing, this woman- I have, but uh, I have an idea of where you're going with it. Yeah, this woman said, okay, ladies, you are allowed to just stay in bed one hour for every hour that you were in labor today. <laughs> and if your kids come in to complain and ask why you're in bed, tell them the story of their birth in such graphic detail that they go running and screaming from the room and you can spend the rest of your allotted time in bed for the duration of your labor. And I thought, it's so true. And my wife's extended multiple days. I mean, she had, anyway, that's a story for another time. So she could be in bed. She's like, I should have started on Saturday. You know, I should still be in bed. I was like, yeah, you're right. But the point is the flowers is the least I could do to say thank you for bringing this life into the world. So uh, that's what I always do. That's Uh, awesome. But my question for you, and maybe this is an admission, uh, welcome to any input from from the listeners as well. I've only been doing it for my biological son because that's who she birthed. Sure. Should I also get her flowers on my adopted son's birthdays? Even the whole the whole point is to say, yeah, but I mean, she didn't birth them. It's, I don't oh, know. That's a good question. What you, yeah. What do you think? I mean, <clears throat> I think my knee jerk is you're on the right track. You know, in terms of honoring her. You know, I think the only downside to not doing it is your adopted kids see her not get flowers on their birthday. Right. 
And so, well, does it have a, does it have any kind of isolation or singling them out or do they, are they going to feel a little bit stiff armed or are they going to feel on the outside? You I know. know it's hard. Yeah. So that's tough. Yeah. That's tough. For now I'm sticking with it the way I'm doing it, but I totally see that they could feel like it reinforces almost the idea that well, technically she's not my biological mom, but I don't, I don't know if they think that way yet, but maybe they do. I don't know. It's a hard one, but I, I still love that my dad did that. And, and so I'm, uh, I'm doing that as well. I, that's something I'm carrying forward. Um, Let me ask you this real quick. Yeah. Do you, with the boys, do you, the adopted, do you, do you celebrate their adoption day? We, that's a good question. No, like we don't have a big cake and ice cream. I mean, we did the day they were adopted. We had a big party. Uh, but maybe no, we it doesn't have to be cake and ice cream, but maybe there's, you know, maybe there's room there to say, hey, we want to celebrate the day that we adopted y'all. We want to celebrate that as a family. I love that. Yeah. I like, you that. know, and maybe you give her the flowers on that day because that's, you know what I mean? That's the day that really brings them into the fold, brings them into the family. You know, we are this one family tribe. We're all together, right? And so their adopted day could be the way that you celebrate that to honor her and to honor them. Noted. Yeah, great idea. That's cool. Yeah, so I mean, I have a huge list of things. My dad my dad really was a good dad. And there's so many things about him that are worth emulating. I think he was just a good he still is. I mean, he's still alive. Uh, just a good, decent man. And I think he taught me how to be a good, decent man, treating people with respect. He was so revered in his profession and in the community and in the church and in his the legal profession. It's funny, you know, the um, we have lawyer jokes for a reason, right? I mean, when you look at the list of like the most, not despised, but the the perception in the general population of the least ethical people in the world are like politicians, number one, yep. lawyers, number two. That's just all the studies show that. But not my dad. Everybody just knew that he was honest, that he did things the right way, that he fought for people who needed to be defended. Yeah. He did tons of pro bono work. I mean, he just... So he just showed me that you can still be a good and decent person. You don't have to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead in life. And those are certainly things that I am intentionally trying to emulate in the way that I try to walk out my own life as a businessman, as a father, as a man in the community, uh, all of those types of things. He was incredibly generous. This is an area where I am trying to be like my father. I wouldn't say I'm maybe as generous naturally as he is, but I saw how how much he gave to causes that were important to him. He gave of his time. He was always volunteering at soup kitchens and he would take us to, to soup kitchens with him to serve others and those types of things. And those are things I'm trying to do with my own kids. Um, maybe not quite as successfully as, as he was, but it's something I'm certainly intentionally trying to emulate. And uh, any family members who are listening to this, <laughs> They know I'm stingy, like I'm stingy. I'm I'm somewhat <laughs> tight with money by nature, but not when it comes to giving to ministries that I care about. When I see people in need, I'll lend them money. Uh, friends of mine, I will. So I feel like I am generous um, with other people, but I'm very stingy when it comes to to my own spending and money. Anyway, so that's a, that's a separate that's a separate conversation. But uh, anyway, so incredibly generous. Um, but yeah, just how to be a good and decent man and, and, and work ethic, you know, he modeled for me a very strong work ethic. He was successful in his own career and he never had to say, you have to work hard, but I think it's the type of thing where sometimes we just model what we see. And I saw that, Hey, if you work hard, you get good things in life. And so I work hard now in my own business and have a strong work ethic. And that, that comes directly from him as well. That's awesome. Those are great. What wonderful characteristics and attributes to strive to emulate you know and what a blessing it is not only for you to experience that but for your kids and their kids and their kids you know because as we as we really look at the way the world is and the way life unfolds is there this there's this generational you know passing the torch, handing it down. This is how you do it, you know, generation after generation after generation. And so 
you know, think about your grandkids or your great grandkids, you know, like how that is going to just continue to be improved upon and passed on the torch to the next generation. So that's really cool. When it's in the positive direction. That's right. But what happens when it's in the negative direction? So I'm also, uh, I'm kind of getting back into stock and options trading. It's something I actively did a while ago, and I'm getting back into it. And I'm working with a, sort of a professional trader who's showing me the ropes a little bit. We're talking about options. Options, basically buying and selling stocks uh, with with a lot of leverage. And he said, it's great when it's going the direction you want it to go. But man, it sucks when it's going against you because it compounds very, very quickly. And so I think it's the same thing here. Like, it's great when you're following your, your dad's footsteps in a positive way. But what happens when you are naturally inclined to be like him in a way that's maybe not quite so healthy? And so let's turn this conversation to sort of that direction a little bit and, and start by maybe way just even just one or two ways that you are intentionally trying to be different from your dad, not even necessarily in a, like a, he was just a terrible person and I want to, I need to be different than him, but Hey, I saw him do things this way, but I think maybe there's a better way of doing it. Or here's how I want to be as a father, because at the end of the day, we're our own men. We get to write our own story in our own families for our own kids. And there's a lot of freedom and opportunity there if we're conscious of it and if we're intentional about it, because it's easier said than done to be different than our fathers, because it's so easy just to be like they were. So maybe what's one or two ways that you are trying to be and maybe succeeding in being different from your father? Sure. And I think, you know, it's easy as we look back, you know, we can sit here now in our 40s and reflect on our childhood and look at it through this lens of reflection, you know, and go, well, dad was like this and that was great. Or dad was like this and that really stunk. Or, you know, this is a way he came up short. You know, we can kind of look back with this reflection. And I don't think it's a reflection on either one of our dads specifically. You know, I don't think it's a reflection on any individual dad. I think it's just the nature that we're all human beings. That's right. Right. I mean, I can look back on my own fathering 10 years ago and go, oh man, I really, I missed the mark right here. Let me improve on that. And so as we begin to look at how do we want to be different than our dads, you know, I kind of look at it as almost like a 1% improvement or maybe a 10% improvement or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, I have that same kind of analysis with my own past behavior with my own past self. And so, you know, I think for all the listeners out there, you know, we can look at it in that light of we're all broken or we've all fallen short and let's look at that and go, how can we improve, you know? And so that's my heart on the matter. And I I know it is yours too. And I would say, I want to improve on everything. You know what I mean? Like I want to be better than my dad was at everything. Sure. And I want my kids to be better than me at everything. Right. Like I, I literally tell my kids like, Hey, when you're a grown up, I want you to be better. You know, I think it'd be cool if you're better than me at this, you know? And so it's this idea of generational improvement, you know? So, but in terms of some specifics, uh, for me, I really want to, I really want to teach my kids and initiate them better at actually relating to Yahweh, relating to God. You know, we went to church as a family, we prayed as a family, you know, I, I understood what it meant to, you know, accept Christ as a savior and, you know, walk in a path that is God's plan for my life. You know, my parents certainly taught me about that and, and modeled it, you know, but I didn't sit down and open the Bible with my dad. You know, I didn't sit down for, you know, like a prayer session with my dad. And maybe part of that is, you know, I was young, like, you know, I think about like some prayer warrior people in my lives, friends, brothers that I, you know, have that I've had not biological brothers, but brothers in Christ would sit and just pray for like an hour, you know, or just do, you know, all these things. So maybe part of that is in my own upbringing, I wasn't there yet. You know, I don't think my, my 10 year old son, I don't think he's going to want to sit down and pray for an hour with me. Right. So But, you know, just in terms of studying the scripture, worship, you know, service to others, learning, teaching my kids how to actually walk in obedience 
to what God is calling them to, right? I want to initiate them. I want to teach them into that. And then most of all, I want to teach them how to love others well. You know, the scripture is really clear to say they will, they will know you're my disciples by how you love others. And so I want to be very intentional with my kids and do that, you know, 1% improvement, 10% improvement, whatever on, on that, uh, in terms of, of my kids. And then to me, that's the most important one. And then the second one quickly is, is financial mastery. That's not something that my dad, honestly, I don't think had a a grasp on in his own life. And, 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 you know, I certainly don't have a grasp on it fully, but it's something that I'm striving towards. You know, how can I be better at living in a budget? How can I be better at transitioning from working for money? Okay. I'm going to go and work these hours and get paid this wage to how can I turn around and make the money work for me, right? How can I use it? How can I invest? I think training my kids and initiating them into business ownership. I believe that business ownership is one of the greatest vehicles to building wealth. Um, and then obviously too, I want to initiate them into contribution, into gifts, into taking care of you know, the widows and the orphans, because that's what the Lord calls us to do. So those are, those are kind of two, you know, big main ones that I could speak to today of, of a desire to, to make improvements or to be different than, or to go to a, another level than, than my father initiated me. Yeah, that's great. Thinking about the father by God book and specifically regarding your second point, if financial mastery isn't something that was maybe modeled as well for you, how have you learned to do it then? Who, who is initiating you? How are you figuring that out? Sure, hundred percent, and and it does. You know, God fills the void when 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 there's been a void or a lack of initiation in our lives. God will fill that void either through His Spirit and just teaching us through the Scripture, or through another person that can come alongside and 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 be that role for us. And you know, for me, in terms of finances, some of it has been through my father-in-law. Um, you know, Nancy and I got married pretty young and that was something that he did with his kids is initiate them into finances and, um, managing money, growing wealth, owning a business, etc. And then other parts of it have been, as I've gotten further developed in my finances, business coaches, life coach, you know, financial advisors, things like that. And so not only do I want to improve over how my dad initiated me, and then the second layer of that was Nancy's father initiating me, I still want to improve over that. You know, there's some things and some mindsets that I still want to to grow in even beyond, you know, where he was able to initiate me. So it's just a matter for me of seeking out someone who does have that wisdom that I can then glean it from them. You yeah. know, that's great. Awesome. For me, I really just one one big example came to mind as I was thinking about this in terms of ways that I'm intentionally trying to be different than my father. He did set a good example for me in so many ways, but I remember distinctly a moment when I was a senior in college and I was sitting in a class, I think it was the summer before my senior year. So thinking about, okay, I'm going into my senior year. I'm going to have to figure out what I want to do for a career, start applying to jobs. And the summer before my senior year, I enrolled in an LSAT prep class to take the LSAT, which is the entrance exam for law school. Why? Well, because my dad was a lawyer. So I'm going to be a lawyer, of course, right? I'm just going to follow in my dad's footsteps and I'm going to be a lawyer. And I remember I was a couple weeks into that LSAT prep course And I just had this deep realization that I didn't want to be a lawyer. Mm. And I was like, why am I doing this? And specifically, two years prior, my dad had a heart attack at age 51. Wow. Because of the stress that his career had enacted upon him. So it's a double-edged coin, right? I talked about how I am trying to emulate his work ethic, how he modeled a work ethic, but his work ethic was to the extreme. 
He picked a career and he loved his career. He loved being a lawyer. He was in a lot of ways married to the law. To be a successful lawyer, they talk about how you almost have to be married to the law. And that was always a balancing act for him. How could he be incredibly successful as a lawyer and still be a family man and show up to his kids' games? And I think he struck a very good balance. I don't remember him missing my games, but he would always come to my game and go back to the office yeah. and then stay at the office till like 10 o'clock at night where he'd be up at 4 a.m. practicing his opening statements for a trial or whatever. And so I saw him strike the balance. I learned that from my father, but I also saw it almost cost him his life at age 51. He almost never got to see his grandkids. I mean, I was just in college at the time, but man, think about how many years I would have missed out on if he hadn't survived that. He ended up having open heart surgery and he's still with us 30 years later. Thank, thank God. I'm not, not quite 30 years later, but the point is I saw all of that and said, I don't want that to be my life. And I remember making the intentional decision in that moment that I'm going to go a different direction, that I have the freedom to choose a different lifestyle, that I want more time freedom in my life. I want to go to my kids' games because I have the freedom financially and time-wise to do so. I want less stress in the career I chose uh, and all of those types of things. And so I literally, I, I quit the course. I'm not a quitter at anything, but I was like, I, I'm, I'm not going to finish doing this. I don't want to go to law school. Um, and I went a different direction and now I'm an entrepreneur and I've tried to create income in a way that gives me a little bit more time freedom with the way I earn my income. And that's a whole separate story, but, but it was an intentional decision. Here's how I'm going to be different than my dad and I have, and I have walked that out. It's not to say there hasn't been stress that comes with being an entrepreneur. There have been uh, dry seasons as an entrepreneur. And then there are wet seasons, like where, where it's raining, where, where I'm making it rain. Um, but there have been seasons that have been trying and stressful as an entrepreneur. But here I am at age 44. I guess we'll find out in about six years whether or not I also follow, follow in my dad's footsteps. God willing, I won't have a heart attack at age 51. Right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's been an intentional decision to go a different direction. That's awesome. Good for you. You know, good for you that you were able to recognize that on the front side instead of spending 10 or 15 or 20 years of your life going down a path that you didn't want to do just because that's what your dad did. You know, there's kind of this underlying idea that we have to follow in our dad's footsteps, you know, and I think that, like you said, we're our own men. We have our own path to follow that the Lord will put out in front of us. And a lot of times I think God presents multiple paths and they're all within his will. And other times I think there's a distinct path that is, that is God's will. And I think that um, as fathers, it's important that we, you know, for me as a business owner, for you, you know, it's, it's important for me to tell my kids, like, Hey, if you guys, if y'all want to grow up and, and, and do this as do this business as a career, great. If you don't, that's great too. Yeah. You, know, you don't want I mean, to pressure them into following. No, I want them steps. to know that they're invited to do that. We're not, we're not excluding them from it. No, you can't come be a part of this legacy. You can't be a part, you know, you can't be a part of growing the business, whatever. But they don't need to feel obligated to it and they don't need to feel like it's just something that they have to do. You know, I, I feel the same way about college personally. Uh, and that's my own, you know, just personal stance on on college, if they want to go for a specific reason to become a lawyer, to become a vet, to become a doctor, whatever, a teacher, something you have to have a college degree to do. Great. Let's go. If you're going just because that's what everybody does after high school. No, we're not doing that. You know what I mean? So, but that is, I think part of us, what was that moment like for you in terms of, did you feel like you were going to disappoint your dad? Did you feel like you were letting him down? Did you, you know, when you had that conversation with him, was he like, great, out of boy, go for it? Or yes, was he, he was. Like, uh, you know? No, he was. That was the, no, I never worried that I was going to upset him. Cool. Because I never felt like he was expecting me to be a lawyer. We never had the conversation. I have friends who absolutely, I'm a doctor, so you're going to be doc. I had friends in college who literally are doctors right now because that was what was expected of them. And they, I think they might like it and they're pretending to like it. And some of them might genuinely like it, but they never really considered anything else. I never felt the pressure. And so it wasn't a huge, like emotional decision to not be a lawyer. It was a relief to come to that decision, I think, and realize I can go a different route. And when I told my dad, he, he said, good. 
Like he literally, I think he was like, great. He wasn't upset about it at all. So it was, awesome. that, that part of things was pretty easy. Um, yeah, good. Yeah. So yeah, good question. And sometimes we end up like our dads and man, we wish we weren't. Sure. And so as we sort of wrap up this conversation, this kind of goes back to the progressive commercial, right? It's like, <laughs> we've turned into our dad. Yeah. And oh man, I kind of wish I weren't. What if we want to be different, but we just can't seem to be different than our fathers, right? And so are there any ways that come to mind along those lines? Ways that you kind of have turned out like your dad, but man, you're fighting it and you just can't quite seem to be different from your father. Does anything come to mind along those lines? Oh, sure. Absolutely. And it's all it's all along the lines of addiction. My father is a cigarette smoker, has been a tobacco user through cigarettes my entire life. I smoked my first cigarette as a middle school kid. Because you had seen him do it. Yeah. And the first cigarette I stole from one of his packs. You know, his pack of cigarettes is on the counter by his wallet or on his dresser. I don't remember probably on his dresser i snuck in there boom got that cigarette put it in you know and then i was off the next whenever the next day or when i knew i wasn't around him smoked cigarettes and for me at 43 years old so probably you know 30 years later still to this day have a, a lifelong wrestling match with tobacco interesting you know, and so I was an avid smoker for all through high school, most of college. And then about halfway through my freshman year, I had this wake up moment of, you know, it was kind of when my faith really, truly became real to me in my own, you know, it wasn't like I was living on my parents' faith anymore. It was like, I had this moment of, am I going to believe God, take him at his word and actually live this out myself on my own conviction, not just because this is what my parents have taught me. Right. So that was a big turning point in my in my obedience to walking out a life following Christ, you know. I had earlier to that I had I had allowed Christ to be my savior, but I hadn't really allowed him you know to call the sh all the shots in my life, you know. And at that point in my freshman year I said, "All right, Lord, you say jump, I'll say how high." And it was give up smoking cigarettes. I went from smoking a carton a week of Marlboro Reds and sometimes smoking, you know, a couple packs of Lucky Strikes. Those are filterless cigarettes in, oh, the, in the midst of it. I'm telling you, I'm that kind of guy that if I'm in, bro, I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm all, <laughs> you know? um, a carton a week as a 20-something-year-old or, you know, 19-year-old, I don't know, to quitting. But up until just recently, I would say it's just been this recurring, you know, I might smoke cigars for a while or I might have a season of, oh, for there was a while that I was doing, chew, I was chewing tobacco as an adult, you know, I went through a season in my twenties of smoking a pipe, you know, a tobacco pipe, you know, but you were, a, you were refined. That's different. You were like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's okay. <laughs> so, you know, for me, I think it definitely boils down to the genetics of that addictive personality and it's something that I've had to learn about myself to go, okay, I have this character trait where if I get a little, then I want a lot. So let's talk about that a second. Would it have worked if he had ever had a conversation with you to say, look, you there might be addiction in our genetic line. You can't even try one because that opens the door. The reason I ask that is those are conversations I've already had with my boys the two adopted boys, they're ours because their parents got addicted. And yeah. so I don't know if they, I don't know if it's genetic with them. I don't know if they'll ever have the issues. I don't know. But I have already had the conversation with my older one, at least that, look, you do not want to even stick your toe in the door in case let's just not even mess with it. Now, the problem is do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't really work. You tend to do what the father does like okay right. well if it's good enough for you it's good enough for me sure. so in these case in this case it's like it's words for now is my son going to internalize those words and hopefully walk that out because man once you try it once it opens that door and then you wrestle with it so do you think 
It's a long way of asking. Would it have mattered? Do you think if he had had a conversation that might've prevented you from stealing that first cigarette? You know, that's such a great question. And at the time when I did steal that first one, you know, I was in a, a such a rebellious mindset against my parents. You know, I obviously knew that they didn't want me to smoke. You know, I obviously knew that smoking cigarettes is bad for your health. You know, I'm not quite old enough to be in the generation where, it, you know, it wasn't deemed as unhealthy, right? Um, but so I don't, would that have had enough of effect? I don't know. I think, I think really, Brett, it has to do more with walking it out and having that conversation. You know, I think, I think for me, as I have recently made this commitment to, I'm not going to let tobacco be in my life at all anymore. I think that the conversation with that living out of the reality has a different set of weight to it than if I'm over here smoking cigarettes every day and sit down with my kids and go, Hey, you really shouldn't even try the first one. Right. I don't think it has the same weight. And so my dad didn't give up. He tried quitting, you know, number of times over the years, but never successfully. And so I don't, know that him being a smoker and having that conversation with me it wouldn't have been congruent you know so i don't think it would have had as much of an effect and so that's what a big challenge that is to us as fathers to go okay if we're going to ask our kids if we're going to try to teach our kids if we're going to try to initiate them into something discipline of abstinence in this case right abstinence of uh smoking cigarettes then we have to live that out ourselves we have to, overcome we have to break the cycle we have to break the chain ourselves yes and that's hard it's like roger banister with the breaking the four minute mile somebody's got to do it yes and then once you do it opens the door for everybody else to do it that's right and so it's incumbent upon us to break that cycle and man that's hard it is hard yeah it is but it's once it but it's it's worth it and that's where we need to lean on the lord for that help because if it's never been modeled for us and never initiated for us then we have to be the one to do it. We need the Lord's help. Um, and I have, a, I have a thought on that here in a moment. Uh, for me, it is, I'm very much like my dad in being quick with words that are not life-giving and having to circle back and apologize. And... I watched him do it where he would lose his temper and blow up and say things he didn't mean and didn't, uh, didn't want to say if he had just taken 10 deep breaths or left the room, probably wouldn't have said them, but he did say them. Yeah. And now there's tension in the house and my mom's mad at him and I'm mad at him and whoever he blew up at is mad at him. And he did model for me forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, having to circle back and apologize but it kind of gets tiring if you're constantly having to apologize. Yeah. I want the change of heart to just be able to control myself to begin with, control my words to begin with. Um, and it is something I am striving and I'm working on. And I think, I think I'm improving at, and we're going to have a whole separate episode about the power of the tongue and, and dive into this a little bit deeper, but man, why don't I learn a little bit more patience, a little bit more control of my tongue. And it's just something I, I saw him model and, um, it's just kind of, it's kind of there, you know? Sure. So, so how do I break that? Turn to the Lord. You know, I work on it. I pray about it. It's something I'm intentional about. Um, but you know, it just, it just is. Yeah, absolutely. Work on it, pray about it. And then also seek out whether it be, you know, counselor, whoever, someone who does have the skill set, who can equip those, you know, those tools, like you talked about, 10 deep breaths, walk out of the room, come back in, you know, some of those, some of those is we, you know, think about them in terms of tools in a toolbox. Your dad didn't utilize those tools in his own life, right? He didn't model for you how to use those, but there are places that you can go and that we can go to gain access to that, to gain knowledge about them, and then to have some practical uses for being able to 
do that in the moment. You know what I mean? And then also I think too, there's another level of <clears throat> finding somebody that you can be accountable with, you know, have that conversation. Hey, I'm, I'm, this is something I'm trying to change generationally yeah. as a man and find that other man that you can have a phone call with once a week. Hey, how was your week in terms of, in my case, smoking cigarettes? How was your week in terms of not saying something that you didn't mean to say? How did you do with those calming breaths? You know, and if you have somebody that you're regularly in contact with holding you accountable to those things, that's, that's a huge asset. I know there's been many times in my life of desire to get to the next level. Prayer, scripture, mindset, and the other person to hold me accountable has been the determining factor. I'll put you on the spot. You want to be that, uh, that person for me? I would love to. Keep me check. Yeah, I appreciate that. We'll, uh, we'll text about that. And my wife, my wife and I talk about it a lot. She's very aware. And we actually, you know, you hear about it, having a safe word. Um, but here we have a safe, kind of a safe word is if we're in conversation with our kids and she sees me escalating or I see her escalating. Sometimes she loses. We all lose our temper with our kids. Of course. And you see our, so our safe word is 1821. Because that's the Bible verse, Proverbs 18.21, that says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. Mm. And so it's just that quick reminder, we're escalating, I'm starting yeah. to get to the point where maybe I'm going to shame my kids, or I'm about to say, sure. she's like, Brett, 18.21. And it just immediately, I stop. In the moment, I just literally, whatever words are like, in the in the process of coming out of my mouth, I cut them off. As much as I want to say, say them, as much as I want to get my point across. I stopped. 18:21. So that's a tool. You talk about tool. And the that's tool awesome. Um, yeah, and thanks for sharing that 18:21 because I'm going to begin to incorporate that. Out. I'm going to I'm going to share that with Nancy because, like you said, we all lose our temper. We all can get flustered. We all can get overly emotional. We can all get that in that way. And that is just that boom, real quick. 18:21. Boom. It just it's a switch, right? And it helps you get into the right mindset because what's happening as we're going down an emotional path. Is we're in the wrong mindset. We're in that process of reaction versus take a minute and respond. You know what I mean? So we want to be in the lives of our kids and frankly, in the lives of our, with our spouses as the man, as the leader, I want to be, I want to be the thermostat in the room, not the thermometer, Amen. you know? And so that's, that's my vision as a father, as a husband is I want to, I want to be the thermostat. And I think that 1821 is the, that click to reminder. Oh, quick, quick shift, change it and then come back to it later. Boom. Exactly. Well, I had one, one final thought as we sort of wrap this up, I was praying uh, about and just sort of thinking about how do we, how do we be better men? How do we break cycles that may be unhealthy that we have learned from our own fathers or mothers, frankly? Um, and how do we, how do we just step into being better fathers, breaking cycles that need to be broken, uh, and living out our own fatherhood journey in the most life-giving way possible? And I felt uh, sort of drawn to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I and I felt the Lord literally say, like, you're literally a new creation. I can rewrite your DNA. Yeah. I mean, you are literally, it's not just words. It's not just, it's just not text on a page. Literally, I can make you new and yeah. whole. You can break the cycle. You can break the chain. You can be the Roger Bannister. You can break the four minute mile so that your kids and their kids' kids don't have to be smokers. Yep. don't have to be unclean with their tongue don't have to lose their patience with their kids you are a new creation in christ if you'll let him do the work in you so that's my prayer for us for me and for you the listener maybe just pause for just a moment as we wrap this episode up and just pray a quick prayer and say lord make me a new creation and it's a daily prayer you know that's the other thing too it's like he says daily take up your cross you know, yes, they can rewrite your, he can rewrite your DNA. You can be a new creation, but doesn't mean a week and a half from now, I'm not going to lose my temper with my kids and need my wife to say 1821. And so, um, it's a work in progress, but, uh, 
but you are a new creation. So any final thoughts before we wrap this up, Perry? Amen to that. Thanks for sharing those things, Brett. It's just so powerful, you know, and I, and again, I just want to always honor one, the Lord for the way he loves us, the way he shows up, the way he, the way God, the father is the perfect father. And then I also just want to honor and thank the listeners for being here for striving to be the best version of yourself that you can be. That's why you're here. That's why you're on the podcast is to grow and change and be the best version of you. And that is literally extremely hard work. <laughs> it is. No, it is. It is hard work to grow and change and become different. And, you know, I want to a honor the listeners for that vision, for that heart that they have for showing up day in and day out. And then B, you know, say as a reminder, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to repeat the sins of the father. You, you're not bound to that, you know, and also just have, you know, remind everybody to have some grace with themselves. You know, uh, God isn't here beating us up. You know, God isn't, um, you know, browbeating us, making us feel bad. You know, I think oftentimes as men, we, look at our shortcomings and, and are too hard on ourselves. And I'm not saying we need to um, justify things that we've done wrong, right? But we don't need to sit there and wallow in it either. So keep your head up for the future, you know, the future version of yourself, the better version of yourself, and don't get, don't get stuck down in the mire wallowing on the times that you've messed it up. You know, let that stuff go and move on. It's a new day. Good stuff. Well, for Perry, I am Brett, and uh, we've enjoyed being with you today. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Faithful Fatherhood podcast. Click that follow button if you haven't already, so you're alerted whenever the next episode drops. Be blessed. Have a great week, and we will talk with you again soon. Take care, everyone. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to be a good